Here okay. we go. We're going to play the intro right now. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. The intro will start in a minute here. Just any second. Here we go. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about their future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Conant Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Okay, everyone, I'm, I'm warning you, you've got to strap in for this call because I'm going to hand the baton to Jim Fetzer and we're going to have a rip roaring presentation and i'd first like to go back to what what jim kind of intimated as a good place to start dr fetzer phd from the university of minnesota uh he's been out there in all of these uh conspiratorial uh, uh false flag operations through the years have documented painstakingly uh, in, in in the court of public opinion on the internet and in this case this new sandy hook trial which is a farce He's going to talk about, but I'd like to go first talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Whatever the heck happened to him this last weekend, uh, was he off? Was he murdered? Uh, it didn't disappear, but it goes back to this whole deep state of fraudulent uh, series of lies that seems to be, we seem to be, uh, you know, infected like a virus, a whole culture. The whole world is being degraded and taken down a black hole because of these lies. Thank you, Jim, for coming on. If you could just start the baton with Jeff Epstein, your comments, and then proceed with uh, your court case. Absolutely, Randy. I'm delighted to be back. Uh, the, the, the tell here is the Gurney photograph. You can see that it was taken in a in a firehouse. It, it wasn't taken in a hospital. There's a sign on the wall about shutting off your engines. It's pretty dirty. There are other indicators. 
it appears that this was a, a, a training uh, uh, photo for EMTs, and they used it to add the, an image that was supposed to look like Jeffrey Epstein. But interestingly, it appears that it was actually Tony Rodham, who was Hillary's brother, who died on July 7th of, to my knowledge, unknown causes as a way of telegraphing to Hillary that Jeffrey is alive and well. Uh, there are numerous indications that the nose is wrong, uh, the ears are wrong, it is not Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and indeed, the, the, you can see that the, the face is, is pink, meaning there's still good blood flow. So this is not what happens when a person dies, they, they lose their lividity, the blood drains the face, it ought to have been pale had this been real. So that leads us to speculate what has happened. And there are many, many who are on top of this. There seem to be really uh, two basic uh, options. Uh, one is that Epstein it was sprung by the Kazarians, by Hillary allies, and he'll be taken to a plastic surgery center in Switzerland to have work done on his ears, teeth, and face. Uh, then he will go to Israel and retire in luxury because he's a national hero there for all of the good work he's done running this uh, pedophile honeypot entrapment for powerful, influential politicians in Washington who appear to include, by the way, Chuck Schumer, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary, and Bill Clinton, needless to say but also a host of others. Indeed, we have new revelations from depositions in one of the lawsuits by the victims identified Bill Richardson, to my surprise, who was a former governor in New Mexico, former head of the DNC, and uh, uh, from uh, the state of Maine, he was the former head. George Mitchell, a former head of the, the Senate. We've all known about uh, Alan Dershowitz being on the agenda here. Uh, plan B is uh, that Trump is a genius, that Epstein is actually in a secure base. It appears to be a military base in Germany where Hillary can't take him out. Mind you, she has a history of eliminating witnesses. And I and others are inclined to toward uh, option B, in fact, part of what I'm giving you here now is from Robert David Steele's website, where Steele was a former CIA, a very good guy. I collaborated with him on several projects, including a 9-11 memoranda for the president, and subsequently a Sandy Hook memoranda for the president, which you can both find for free on his website at Robert David Steele. So that, that's that's my basic opening number. Now, this is so blatant. What's going on here is so obviously a gross violation of protocol. He'd been, he'd been uh, uh, on a suicide watch after what appears to have been either an attempt at suicide or an attempt at murder. There was a cop implicated in the murder of four in a drug deal who had been uh, his cellmate yeah. was being questioned about it. And, and it looks very much as though uh, once he was on suicide watch, you had closed circuit television covering him 24-7. You had guards looking on him like every 15 minutes or so. 
now it's turning out we're getting belated reports that the guards were snoozing, that they were faking their logs, and Epstein had been taken off of suicide watch. Well, the public is very much alarmed by this. Uh, Zero Hedge had an article about it entitled Heads Must Roll Outrage Grows Over Epstein's Mysterious Suicide that had something like 10,000 comments, 99% of which were attacking the official story that he had committed suicide and died. In fact, we have a report from a former inmate of the facility that it would have been impossible for him to have committed suicide. There's no, no none of the uh, uh, accoutrements that would have been required, no bars to hang from. E- even the sheets actually aren't made out of cloth, they're made out of paper. The bed was uh, a low structure. I mean, it just wasn't possible. So. It looks as though he was swapped out. We have a couple of reports about that taking place uh, 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 by someone in a military uniform, which in my opinion you know, is consistent with the idea he was taken to this very secure base in uh, Germany. Uh, that, that's, that's my thumbnail sketch about Jeffrey Epstein. And, and if this is correct, then it really does mean the draining of the swamp has begun. And in fact, when you get names like Bill Richardson and George uh, Mitchell out there in the public in a setting like this, that's that's so profoundly disturbing that it suggests to me uh, that it is taking place, that the swamp is being drained and that Trump is some kind of genius. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yeah, just on the Jeff Rapstein, before we let you go on, uh, why did they wait so long to uh, seize uh, the island? Uh, you know, they, 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 they just were playing pity pat for like a month and a half since, his, it, since he was, uh, you know, late June or July, whatever it was. But uh, uh, it wasn't until after he supposedly died that they went to the island to secure his property there. Well, <laughs> Which seems it, very, very it, strange. Yeah. It may have to do with international law. I mean, the Virgin Islands are not U.S. territory, so it may be there were issues there. But I agree it would have seemingly been more appropriate to have had a raid of the Little St. James Island, which he wanted to yeah. rechristen Little St. Jeff. Uh, his palatial mansion in New York is reputed to be the largest pre- uh, private residence in the city with some 40 rooms. I mean, yeah. and they have done the raid, and they have taken a lot of, you know, computers and, and, and the vast stock of photographs and all that. The Epstein case is so tawdry. It, it is so disgusting. It's captivated the interest of the public, and I think more and more minds now are being opened that to the yeah. idea of the conspiracy theories that what the, what the, the people who are being characterized as conspiracy theorists are telling us maybe a whole lot closer to the truth than what we're getting from the mainstream media. Everyone, everyone can wear the tinfoil hats now, Jim, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Here, here's a bizarre one you may not have, have caught yet. A Jeffrey Epstein had a painting of Bill Clinton wearing a blue dress and red heels. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. That's terrible looking. Oh, horrible. It's fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. Of course, the blue dress 
uh, it was published in the Daily Mail in the UK, of course. Here, here are the highlights. Jeffrey Epstein had a, a painting that appeared to be Bill Clinton wearing a blue dress. There's no, no doubt this is Bill Clinton. And Red Hills hanging inside his Manhattan home. Sources who saw it during a business meeting told Daily Mail TV the blue dress seems to be a pointed reference to Clinton's former intern Monica Lewinsky who wore a blue dress. It says during their trips. Well, this is a celebrated one where Bill lift remnants of their exchange, their encounter on the dress. The source, who asked to remain anonymous, were visiting Epstein to present a business proposal. She told Daily Mail TV it was absolutely Bill Clinton. It was shocking. It was a very provocative sexual picture. And, of course, we have a photograph of it. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Epstein and Clinton were friends with a 72-year-old flying on the now-deceased financier's private plane uh, and, and called the Lolita Express. Clinton claims only four times, but the long show it was 26. I mean, this would be exactly the sort of thing that Bill Clinton would, would long for. You know, lust after young girls and all that. That's exactly his cup of tea. The source also claims she saw a young Hispanic girl waiting to meet with Epstein after her business meeting. Say the girl looked to be about 14. Uh, uh, all, all this looks totally bona fide to me. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's all really quite fascinating and very, very sordid. And that's another reason for thinking that the swamp may, in fact, finally be in the process of being drained. Wow. And I, I tell you, when they confronted Trump with this, uh, he dished it right back and say, you know, the real thing that people need to analyze is why was Bill Clinton there 26 to 28 times? Go figure that one out. And you'll find you'll find something. <laughs> well, well, Bill Clinton has a terrible history with women. You know, I mean, it's yeah. very, very bad. Uh, Roger Stone published a book about it called "The Clinton's War on Women" that has a whole lot of fascinating revelations. If any of you want to dig deeply, well, that's a good place to go. But Hillary herself, I mean, it's completely disgusting because there were a whole lot of videos of these uh, uh, sadistic uh, uh, style sexual uh, uh, encounters and murders on the, oh on the Anthony Weiner laptop. We were getting reports at the time from that hardened NYPDs who'd seen everything were reduced to tears by what they found in these videos here, that, that, that Hillary oh would get away from this. And, even his strongest supporters aren't going to be able to excuse this. At, at the time that was breaking out, by the way, I had uh, just done an interview with uh, Jim Rothstein, who's an NYPD Gold Shield detective who cracked many pedophile cases in New York, only to see the district attorney quash them on political grounds. He may be our nation's leading expert in this area. Uh, and when I gave to him a thumbnail summary of what was coming out of the NYPD about the Wiener laptop and asked if he were surprised, he explained to me not at all because based upon his experience, 70% of the American political elite is engaged in pedophilia. That's his number, not mine, 70%. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jim? Six, seven, eight NYPD police officers have committed suicide in the last two months. What's going on there? 
Wow, Fred, that's news to me, but that's terribly interesting. I wonder if Hillary's got to them, if they were people who had access to the wiener. In the last, in the last three to, or maybe it's three to six months, but there was a guy who did a whole expose on YouTube and uh, went into this in depth about the, the, the strange rash of NYPD suicides of officers that are in these departments that should be overseeing things related to these cases. Well, I'm telling you, Hillary plays hardball. This is a very nasty piece of work. Uh, the American public, if they knew the truth about Hillary Clinton, they would be nauseated beyond belief. They would not believe that this person could have come within a hair's breadth of becoming president of the United States. And that election, by the way, was rigged for Hillary. The polls were rigged. Uh, in Michigan, they found ballot boxes had been stuffed, that they had more votes than they had voters. I mean, it was unbelievable. That's where Jill Stein did the country a service by asking for there to be a recount in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Because in Pennsylvania, because they use these touchscreen machines, you can't do a recount, which in my opinion renders them unconstitutional on their face. I mean, how could anyone lost an election then contest it when there's no actual record of the votes that yep. were recorded in, in wisconsin yep. where we have paper ballots and then optical scan counters it turned out that yep. trump actually picked up uh, i think 174 votes and when i was very accurate and trump actually picked up but in michigan it was a complete disaster overwhelming evidence of the state having been rigged for hillary Pretty fascinating, wow. all things considered, because nevertheless, she lost Michigan anyway. And it turns out, as I may have explained in past uh, presentations here, yeah. uh, studies by Boston University and the University of Minnesota showed that it was voters in rural counties that had suffered many casualties from the ongoing wars in the Middle East that judged Trump to be the less likely of the two candidates to continue those wars, not with certainty, but that he was the less likely. I don't think anyone could doubt that judgment was correct. Hillary was in precipitate slaughter of Libya, which may be the most humane society ever created on the face of Earth by Muammar Gaddafi. Then when he put up no resistance, it was surrendering to a location specified by the Department of State, Hillary had his convoy traveling under a white flag of surrender interdicted, and he had brutally murdered. He was, uh, he, he was raped with a bayonet. I mean, it was really disgusting. But th this is the real Hillary Clinton. When she would later be interviewed about it, she paraphrased Julius Caesar in relation to the Gallic Wars, where Caesar had said, I came. I saw, I conquered. And Hillary said, we came, we saw he died and cackled about it. I mean, that is the quality yep. of the woman, but really an inhumane person. I mean, she's truly despicable. There's a mountain that goes with us, a mountain. God. Oh, my God. Uh, now, now, Jim, you are in this Posner lawsuit. Are, are, are faced with uh, a million. I mean, this is this is this is crazy. Uh, and they're preventing you and your colleague from presenting evidence in this case. Correct. Well, it's really 
such a bizarre thing. I can't believe I actually lived through it and watched these uh, atrocities taking place before my very eyes, uh, Fred. I, have, I and Mike Palachuk have been representing ourselves pro se because no one has been willing to represent us given the unpopularity of skepticism about Sandy Hook, which really is a reflection of the profound impact of television and propaganda because I guarantee you nobody died at Sandy Hook, just as the book declares. You can still download it, by the way, as a PDF for free where I released it to the public after Amazon banned the book on the 19th of November after it had gone on sale on the 22nd of October and sold nearly 500 copies already. You can find it just by putting in the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, but add PDF. Because this guy, Leonard Posner, who brought the lawsuit, who's one of the fake Sandy Hook parents, is quite, an, in my opinion, an Internet terrorist a cyber terrorist, he has boasted of being responsible for the removal of tens of thousands of content items from the internet. I have no doubt whatsoever that a blog I had in which we demonstrated that his, his purported deceased son, Noah Posner, was actually a fiction made up out of photographs of his reported older stepbrother Michael Vabner, where six of us went to work on this blog, and we showed they had the same eyes, they had the same eyebrows, they had the same nose, they had the same mouth, they had the same ear, they had the same shape of skull. And where I invited Larry Rivera, who's mastered the principles of photogrammetry, which is the application of mathematics to the study of photographs, and had produced a, a, a superposition of Lee Oswald over the facial features of the man in the doorway in this most famous photograph taken by AP photographer James Ike Alchins in Dealey Plaza on 22 November of 1963 to verify what we'd already established on the basis of the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the t-shirt to wit that this was Lee Harvey Oswald where the facial features fit the facial features of the man in the doorway exactly. And then where he took a, did a similar superposition of the man the government claims was in the doorway, where they're actually trading on an equivocation because he was also in the doorway, but he was to the right of the figure that has been uh, supposed to be Lee Oswald and not that figure himself. He always said he thought, Billy Lovelady by name, he always thought it was odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier, and moreover, the FBI had invited him in on 29 February 1964 wearing the same shirt he wore on that occasion, which was a short shirt, short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt, totally different than the long sleeve, very richly textured and worn shirt on the man in the doorway. So given Larry had demonstrated his brilliance at that, I, inv I sent him two photographs without any identification or context. I just said, Larry, are these the same person? Albeit, of course, at two different ages. And Larry went about applying his methodology, which he is now expert, and verified that indeed, yes, this was uh, one and the same person confirming uh, our conclusion that, that uh, Noah Posner was a fiction made up out of photographs of his older stepbrother when he was a child. Well, that blog just disappeared. And it disappeared oh, because boy, Lenny Posner... The whole, the whole blog disappeared. 
Well, there's an ambiguity there. A, a blog is the whole sequence of individual blogs. I'm talking about the individual blog in this instance, the individual yeah. blog to which six of us had contributed. Now, uh, it just disappeared, and it was not the only time. In fact, uh, I have persons assisting me with legal advice who found all the records I'd sent them have disappeared from their computer. They're just disappeared from their computer at crucial times. Oh, and my God. Aiding and abetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's the deal. Uh, the lawsuit was totally fraudulent. It was based on the claim that a description I'd made of a death certificate that Lenny Posner, the same guy, had put up on a blog on a website for Kelly Watt because she and he had engaged in 100 hours of conversation. He'd reached out to contact her. We believe in retrospect it was so he could obtain information about research going on within the Sandy Hook uh, uh, critical community. Uh, but they hit it off, and they wound up having these conversations over and over, and she told them again and again she didn't believe a word he said. She didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe his son died, asked for proof. And she was very specific at one point, saying uh, she wanted a birth certificate, death certificate, photograph of the mother with a child in the hospital, uh, 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 kindergarten records. Well, uh, one day she looked at her email and he said, go here and check it out. She went to the blog and there was a, a death certificate. There was a birth certificate. There was a photograph. Uh, there was a kindergarten report card. And she thought right off the bat that something was funny because the school is located on Dickinson Drive, which is spelled with an E, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N, but in the report card it said D-I-C-K-E-N-S-O-N, as though a teacher at Sandy Hook Elementary School couldn't spell the name of the address, which obviously is suggesting that it was fraudulent. He put up also a, a passport image, by the way. Now, this death certificate... Uh, is very incomplete. It doesn't have a file number. It has the wrong estimated time of death. It has uh, a mar portions of it look very dark, uh, leading me to infer that the bottom two-thirds were from a real death certificate. It could have been combined with the top third of a fake. Uh, it had the time of death estimated 11 uh, a.m. where the shooting officially took place between 9.30 and 9.40. I mean, how do you get that wrong? Uh, and it had no form of certification. It turns out these death certificates have two types of certification. One is from the town, and it's like a bar on the left-hand side. In other words, you'd have to turn it uh, 90 degrees to read the, the signature of Debbie Aurelia, who is the town registrar uh, for Newtown, and also the custodian of vital records. So normally that's on an angle, right, on a 90-degree angle on the side, and then when the state reprints, you know, sends out a copy, then there's a state certification on the bottom that is certifying this is a true copy of the death certificate, which is, of course, supposed to be correct if it is a town registrar certification. Well, the death certificate he put up had neither form of certification, and it had the uh, it had the, the burial location blacked out, and also in the Social Security box, it was blacked out. We published that. We talked about why it looked like it was fraudulent. We went through a host of reasons, and I was sued 
for declaring that this was a, a, a fabrication uh, in a complaint that had attached to it a, a different death certificate that had a handwritten file number. It, it had both forms of state and town certification uh, and also had a change of address uh, that had been implemented by the, the father in 2013. Now, what's interesting about that is the following. He put up this death certificate for Kelly in 2014. So he was already, he was putting up a, a copy of the death certificate he already knew was not accurate because he'd already revised it in 2013. Now, the revision is most interesting and peculiar because he changed the address of the decedent, the purported decedent, from his mother's address where he was living at the time he died, according to their story, to his father's address. And the, the, it, 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 it says, you know, right at the top of the corrected uh, by request of Father Leonard Posner, uh, another uh, 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 oddity about the death certificate is where it has a uh, informant's name. It asks for a first, middle, and last name, and he uses his nickname, Lenny, Lenny Posner. Well, let me point out the obvious. Nobody changes their residence after they're dead. I mean, you know, this was very peculiar. One of the two uh, uh, forensic experts that reviewed the various death certificates that surfaced during the course of this case, and I've already described two of them now, the one we published in the book that Kelly got from Lenny Posner when he put it up on the blog, and the second, which was attached to the complaint, claiming, and this is the most interesting aspect of the complaint, claiming that the death certificate I described as a fabrication did not differ in any material respect from the death certificate that had been certified by the state, which was attached, but, you know, what could be more material than the fact that the one had neither the state nor the town certification and no file number and the other did? I mean, this lawsuit yeah. was a yeah. logical absurdity from the beginning. Well, two other death certificates surfaced in the course of the case because Dave Gehari, my business guy, who was the third of the three defendants, obtained one directly from the office of the town clerk, Gabby uh, Aurelia. And what's interesting about that and makes it particularly fascinating is it had a partial printed file number. It didn't have the handwritten file number, but a partial printed file number where the, there were four digits. One looked like it might be a zero or a nine, but the other three were discernible. Two, four, three did not correspond to the, uh, the digits, the corresponding digits of the handwritten file number. So, so you've got already there uh, three completely different uh, death certificates, at, at, at least two of which, you know, uh, cannot uh, uh, both be uh, true, but where all three of them can be fabrications. And indeed, I would subsequently obtain directly from the state, the Department of, uh, of Public Health of Connecticut, five death certificates, including one for, for NOAA, and it had the, the, the town and the state certification, including an embossed seal in the paper, which is heavy enough that it can take the embossed seal and not tear. This had no strikeouts for the location of the burial or for the social security number, which interestingly was blank. Now, the two document examiners that I 
uh, 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 enlisted to review these documents concluded all four of these death certificates are fake, all four. Not just one, not just two, all four are fake. And therefore, I was completely dumbfounded when during the course of the oral hearing on the motions for summary judgment, which give a judge the option of resolving a case if there are no disputed facts, uh, went ahead and ruled in favor of the plaintiff in spite of the fact that there was a dispute over the most basic question at, at issue here, the authenticity of the death certificate, where it turned out it's not only a fabrication on its face, because it turns out that in Connecticut, uh, not even parents are allowed to have an uncertified death certificate. In other words, because it did not have uh, the town registrar certification, it was a fabrication, meaning it was not legitimate from scratch. And uh, where they also, uh, you know, of course, given that I had my document examiners concluding all these death certificates were fake, how could he possibly go ahead and make a ruling in a summary judgment when there have to be no dispute in facts? He just set the, the findings of the forensic examiners to the side, saying those are just opinions, as though all opinions were on a par. I mean, we all have opinions but some are better than others, more well-founded, and these were opinions by two document examiners who are experts. Interestingly, the second, the second of the document examiners, whose name is, the, the first, his name is uh, uh, Wilkerson. He's from Minneapolis. He, he said over the phone to me, but it's also in, in so many words in his report, that it was mind-boggling to him that the state of Connecticut was issuing fabricated death certificates and indeed different fabricated death certificates to different parties to litigation. And he concluded right. that, uh, that, that no document coming from the state of Connecticut can be taken to be a reliable, given this state of affairs here in relation to these uh, certificates found in this case, uh, and where the second document examiner, his name is Robertson, who's from California, not only confirmed what, what, what uh, uh, Wilkerson had reported, but went on to observe that the social security card for Noah Posner also appeared to be fake. It turns out the Social Security Administration frequently revises the form of the card. So if you have a a, a date of issuance, but it's not on the proper form of the card corresponding to the date of issuance, and you know it's a fake. And that's the case for Noah Posner. Plus, we had independently looked at this passport photograph uh, that was that Lenny had put up on this website. And it, it's obvious, it doesn't require an expert to determine that the passport is counterfeit because the image is too large in relation to the space allocated and the Department of State is very, very specific about the exact mathematical proportions. It cannot be a snapshot. It's gotta be a formal photograph looking right at the camera, but this is a snapshot and the proportions are all wrong. So it's even a non-expert conclusion. So what have we got? We got death certificates that are fabrications. We got a social security card that's a fake. We got a passport that's a counterfeit, and we've got the proof that Noah Posner is a fiction that was manufactured out of uh, photographs of his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, as a child, and yet the judge ruled 
that there were no disputed facts in favor of the plaintiff. I was dumbfounded. Tim, so where does this stand right now? Where does this case stand right now? Well, because of the blatancy, because of the blatancy, we submitted what's known as an interlocutory appeal to the uh, Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit here in Wisconsin. Now, there are three criteria under which they will certify, uh, which include that irrevocable harm is being done in the meanwhile, and there's a high likelihood of prevailing if the if the case were to be retried, uh, where we, you know, have gangbusters, and of course the judge had blatantly violated the protocols for a summary judgment. So we submitted a, a, a summary, a, an application for uh, interlocutory appeal. The plaintiff opposed it. We submitted a reply, and like uh, last week, uh, well, let me see. I've got it right here in my hand. Let's see what's the date here. Uh, they have just they uh, August August ninth. They issued a finding no that they were not going to consider that we had not uh, met the criteria under the Wisconsin statute for an interlocutory uh, uh, review. Now. That's all the bad news. That's all the downside. The upside is I have finally secured legal representation with a major law firm right here in Madison, and I'm very, very impressed by my attorney. Wow. That's, God bless. God bless that, Jim. Jeez. I know. Oh, that's, I know. A, that's a breakthrough. Oh, yes, my God. This has been a turkey shoot for them, you know, dealing with non-lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, make a huge difference. Yeah. Now, we face a trial for damages in October, and as you were implying, they're they're going to seek a million dollars in damage from the two of us. It, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous. I mean, look, truth yeah. is an absolute defense to defamation, and what we said was true. Some of the reasons I cited at the time turned out to have been false because there were these variations in typefaces and fonts, but it turns out the way these death certificates are produced, they go through the hands of three different parties. It begins with a medical examiner. He fills out a part of it. That is the one with the part with the dark background. Then the town registrar fills out her part. Then the top, well, I think actually before that, the top part is filled out by the funeral director for the burial. And then the town registrar does her certification, and thereafter, then the state would issue copies of what's supposed to be a correct death certificate because it's got the certification of the town. Well, the idea of going after us for a million dollars when what we actually published was true under the law, the phrase that is used is substantially true, meaning there may be, you know, incidental aspects here that were mistaken, such as some of the reasons I gave for concluding that this was a fabrication. But since it's a law in Connecticut that not even a parent can be in the possession of a non-certified death certificate, what we said, what we published in the book is true, substantially true. And therefore, there ought to have been a, a, you know, a, a granting of my summary judgment, not, not a granting of the plaintiffs. I mean, and to have all this unfolding before my very eyes, I mean, it was just shocking to me. I had presumed going into the oral hearing that it would be very straightforward since the law and the evidence were on our side. And it was 
really astonishing to me to see how it all transpired. Unbelievable. My God. Oh, Jim. Um, Jim, weren't there 20, supposedly 26 kids that passed away on, at, at, at Sandy Hook, uh, the, uh, the kids, non-open six, elementary? 20 kids and six adults, but you know, Fred, I mean, I mentioned you can download the book as a PDF, just yeah. with the title. Nobody died at Sandy Hook PDF, and you'll you'll have some options there. Uh, we, I brought together 13 experts on Sandy Hook just to give illustration of our confidence. One of them, Dr. Ewan, who maintains the Fellowship of the Minds website, have already published 80, 80 articles about Sandy Hook. I myself had already published 30. So I brought together. 13 experts on Sandy Hook, including six current or retired PhDs, PhD professors, where we concluded the school had been closed by 2008. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, uh, damaged by a hurricane. They even had a major flood in the area in 2007. It had been closed by 2008. There were no students there. That was, in fact, a two-day FEMA exercise a mass casualty exercise involving children presented as a live event. They actually had the rehearsal on the 13th, and you saw all of the teachers that go with a FEMA drill. They had a sign that says everyone must check in. Well, well we even have the manual for the two-day exercise. It says write the manual. Everyone must check in with the controller upon arrival. They had porta potties in place and pizza and bottled water. Have you ever heard of porta potty pizza and bottled water at a crime scene, at a mass shooting scene? Uh, they no. have all these parties with name tags on lanyards, and that's how FEMA identifies the participants, by color-coded name tags on lanyards. You had parents bringing children to the scene. I have yet to hear uh, of a parent who would bring a child to the scene of a child shooting massacre. I mean, it's all ridiculous. The evidence is overwhelming. So they ignored all the evidence. This was something that happened during the trial, Fred. I need to spell out. I had in my answer to the complaint, and you have two choices basically when you're served with a, with a, with a lawsuit. You, you can uh, seek its dismissal, or you can answer and join issues. I sought to answer and join issues because I had all this evidence, I've been hoping to find some opportunity to get this into a legal framework where it could be certified for the benefit of the public. In fact, the, yeah. the, the woman who served me with a suit said she'd never seen anyone so happy to, to receive a lawsuit <laughs> because I had all this evidence. Now, when yeah. I answered, yeah. I explained I had two lines of proof I was going to develop. There was, of course, the evidence, direct evidence about the lack of authenticity of the death certificate the lack of the file number, the wrong estimated time of death, the shading in the background, the difference in the fonts and the sizes and all that, and yep. incorrect evidence. Because since we had established that no one had died at Sandy Hook, obviously any death certificate for a purported deceit would have to be a fabrication. Well, the judge ruled all that evidence out, all my evidence that Sandy Hook was a fraud, that it was a FEMA exercise, he said, we're not going to have a trial about Sandy Hook. We're going to focus on the authenticity of the death certificate. Now, personally, I think that was uh, uh, completely wrong on his part. After all, he's de denying me a defendant 
and it turns out to be in a million-dollar lawsuit, the opportunity to present the defense of my choice, because all this evidence substantiates it. It's very interesting. Someone else who's done legal research on my behalf has come up with a case from 1917 involving uh, Tribune News Service where they were being uh, sued, I think, over a sentence or two. And the reasoning yeah. in this case was that it, since they were only picking out these sentences, they were uh, tacitly ad acknowledging the truth of the rest. Uh, now, it turns out that doesn't have quite the right format to be a, 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 a precedent in this case. But the legal reasoning is fascinating, and it suggests that they were just picking out two or three sentences from a, a 446-page book uh, where actually the discussion of Leonard Posner and Noah Posner is relatively incidental. I don't believe their names appear on more than 17 pages of a 446-page book. So by that line of reasoning, they were tacitly admitting the, the rest of the book was accurate and true. And of course, if the rest of the book was accurate and true, then since nobody died at Sandy Hook, obviously any death certificate for purported decedent would have to be a fabrication. So he ruled that out. I wasn't allowed to bring in any of that. But oh, the fact of the matter is, and this is most interesting too, the trial set now for October, though it may be delayed because having new counsel, he, he's entitled to request an extension of time to immerse himself in the case. And it's a fairly complicated case. For example, he asked his assistant, could she create file folders, you know, with all the, the legal documents in this case? And she came back to him and said, well, there are uh, over 250, over 250 of these documents. So, uh, you know, he, he has access to all the electronic files now that he's uh, representing me and Mike Palachuk. Uh, but, uh, but, but the fact is he, he sure deserves time to go more thoroughly through this than the time he would have if, in fact, we were to go to trial on, the t on uh, I think it's uh, October 10th, uh, 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 that week. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that he'll apply for, and in all probability, but it's not a certainty because the judge doesn't seem to be, you know, enthusiastic about this lawsuit. It's not a certain deal be granted, but it would be appropriate that it be granted and give him more time to sink into the suit. But he's already showing a very comprehensive understanding of the issues. So here I am being sued for a million dollars for a law for over a death certificate I'd never before seen to wit the one attached to the complaint, never commented or published upon. I mean that that's about as absurd as it gets. But th this is why I'm in a, I've become completely disillusioned about the state of justice in the state of Wisconsin. My, my God, Jim, what about uh, Wolfgang Habib? Is he in the background somewhere through all of this? Well, Wolfgang is still pursuing his issues, and he, he, he it's interesting, he had a, he was sued by Lenny Posner on the grounds of purported invasion of privacy for publishing some personal information, no doubt inadvertently by Wolfgang. And in, the suit was being heard in Florida, and Wolfgang was dutifully going to every meeting. 
uh, Lenny never showed up. He had a highly incompetent attorney there who was more or less a buffoon. At a certain point uh, where uh, Wolfgang had asked for a video deposition of, of Leonard Posner, the judge ordered that Leonard Posner had to sit for a video deposition. And at the last minute, he withdrew the suit rather than sit for a video deposition. Now, oh that, meant, wow. that, that, that meant that Wolfgang's countersuit, and I had a countersuit of my own too, uh, 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 could go forward. But, but Lynch very cleverly wrote a complaint for no good reason that he wasn't happy with a judge whom he never dealt with personally since he never made an appearance in court. And the judge, out of an excess of scruples, excused himself. And they replaced him with a judge who just trashed Wolfgang's suit. I mean, that was bad. Wolfgang was making good progress. Let me give you an illustration of how far Wolfgang has gone. Uh, he, of course, is a former Florida state trooper, former U.S. customs agent, former school principal, and nationally recognized school safety expert. So he began making FOIA requests and inquiries about Sandy Hook in order to learn what had happened, get this, so he could advise other school systems on what steps they needed to take to ensure it didn't happen to them. But he noticed that his FOIA requests were going unanswered, his phone calls weren't being returned, and before he knew it, there were two homicide detectives from a local precinct on the, his porch in this gated community in Florida telling him they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police, and if he continued to ask questions about Sandy Hook, he would be prosecuted. I mean, this is one of the absurdities about the whole case. You had this Lieutenant Paul Vance for the Connecticut State Police, who during a press conference the following day, when Wayne Carver, the medical examiner, uh, uh, did a very bizarre performance about his role in all of this, and even said at one point he hoped this didn't come crashing down on the head of the people of Newtown, suggesting his full awareness because he was a key pivot in the whole stage event, that this was a, a, a complete uh, uh, fake event. Uh, uh, the, the Lieutenant Paul Vance actually threatened to prosecute anyone who offered a, 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 a variation of the official story about Sandy Hook. Now, if you download the book, you'll find in Chapter 7, we have 50 photographs where they're furnishing an empty house to serve as the Adam Lanza residence. One of the tells being there's no paintings, no photographs, no decorations on any of the walls. I mean, this is untrue of any home where, where people actually have lived for any substantial period of time. Then we have an additional Chapter 8, 50 photographs of refurbishing the, the school to serve as the stage. The most important of which is we have the SWAT team already on the scene. I've been told it's not actually a SWAT team, but the crime scene investigating van, which looks just like a, you know, an armored truck. Uh, and you, can, you look over the roof of the vehicle, and you can see a string of four windows in classroom 10 that are undamaged. Now, that's significant because after the event, those windows would be shot up. In particular, the second pane would be all but destroyed. So it's very easy to tell visually when you compare the windows before and after that this was before the event. And yet, 
you go down the flagpole, which is at full mask, and you find this familiar figure with his arms crossed leaning against the wall, Wayne Carver, the medical examiner. There's crime scene tape up for a crime that is yet to be committed. In other words, we have it right there. Absolute proof that this is fraudulent. Well, William Powell from Australia, who provided with those 50 photographs, didn't fill me in at the time, their source, uh, I was just fascinated that he'd been able to produce. They actually came out of the files of the Connecticut State Police who were running the whole off behind the scene and keeping records of everything they did. My God, what a tangled web this is. Jesus, Jim. Wow. And get this. This was a Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Eric Holder operation. Eric Holder, who was a zealot for gun control, we have video of him in 1995 addressing the Democratic uh, uh, Women's National Conference. Hang on. I'm on the air. I'll call you back. I'll call you back. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I meant to have silence myself before we got here. No, 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 no problem. Yeah. Uh, Eric Holder in 1995 addressing the Demo- National Democratic Women's Conference saying, we've got to brainwash the American people to change their attitude toward guns. Well, this appears yeah. to have been part of the enterprise of brainwashing. Just, you know, stage, and you can see where there might be a lot of do-gooders who think we've got to show the public what could happen if we don't get control of our guns. Something like this could happen. Someone could go nutty and come into an elementary school and shoot up a bunch of innocent kids. So they're going to participate in the staging. But don't think that they had altruistic motivation because they, they split between 27 and $130 million in donations from sympathetic but gullible Americans in the false belief they bossed children at Sandy Hook, which divided evenly between the 26 families is between one and five million bucks for pretending to have lost a child at Sandy Hook. Well, Barack Obama nullified the Smith-Mutt Act of 1948, which precluded the use of the same techniques of disinformation and propaganda within the United States that were being used without by the Smith-Mutt Modernization Act of 2012. In other words, Barack Hussein Obama unleashed this torrent of false flag shootings, fake events, made them legal by this evisceration of the Smith-Mutt Act, and I have a friend who is a former Army Intelligence PSYOPs officer by the name of Scott Bennett, where we do lots of shows together, including a weekly analysis of the news on a program called Truth Versus News that's broadcast out of a community TV station in Seattle. And Scott has explained how they took the Smith-Mutt Act very seriously in their PSYOPs, you know, wanting to ensure they didn't violate it. Well, let me guarantee Obama unleashed the floodgate and that, I, you know, I have done this again and again and again, brought together the best experts, whether it's Sandy Hook or the Boston bombing or Orlando and Dallas or Charlottesville or Parkland. Those are all staged events. I'll tell or you Vegas, right now. Or Vegas, Vegas, right? Yeah. Yes, in Las Vegas, and, we're, and we're, we're, we're working on completing a book on Las Vegas that has been temporarily in abeyance and coping with all this legal nonsense. 
We hope to have that out shortly. Yeah, uh, and all of these are fake and frauds. In fact, the El Paso shooting is also fraudulent. The Dayton shooting is also fraudulent. The shooting in Philadelphia, again, what they're doing is manufacturing events to fit a political agenda. The Democrats have gone all in with a collapse of the Russiagate narrative and, and Robert Mueller's disastrous appearance before Congress. They have replaced Russia, Russia, Russia with racism, 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 gun control, and open borders. And frankly, that's going to be a disaster for the Democrats. Uh, it turns out that, you know, we have really three political groupings in the country speaking generally. You have the, the Democrat third, you have the Republican third, and the Republicans are virtually united about Trump. He gets like 90, 95% approval rating within the Republican Party. And then you have the one-third of independents. And believe me, they're not eager for open borders. They're not impressed by the idea of allowing mass migration into the United States. In fact, interestingly, most Latinos are not enthusiastic about it. Why? Well, because they came in the legitimate way. They went through the legal process, and they've now secured a place in society. They're productive yeah. tax citizens. They don't like the ripoff this represents. It any more than do ordinary uh, other American taxpayers. So I think that they have selected a trifecta that is a virtual guarantee for disaster in 2020. Wow, wow. Uh, Jim, uh, there's no end to this. Can you give us some hope that there's something new on the horizon with Trump with, uh, you know, there, 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 there's something going on. We can all feel it for the last couple, two, three years. We, I did not, we did not expect Trump to get in there, but something is happening. And uh, uh, when Trump signed that executive order at the end of 2017, affecting the property of anyone uh, suspected or, or conv confirmed to be involved in human trafficking, that applies to Epstein. That applies to all of these people, correct? Yes. Yes, and I do yeah. think, do think, I do think this is an, an indication that, in fact, the swamp is being drained. I mean, you know, look, uh, uh, I'm very unhappy with Trump's foreign policy, which was just the opposite of the reason he was elected. I, I mentioned how. All those voters in rural counties made the difference because they thought he was going to end the war in the Middle East. Well, he's gone on a rampage. He's been following a Zionist foreign policy. He's even threatened to attack Iran. Pulling out of the Iran deal was an absurdity. Iran has not launched a, a, a war of aggression against any other state since 1775. Iran was not seeking to develop nuclear weapons. Our own intel agencies declared that to be the case in 2007, reaffirmed it in 2011. Even the Mossad came on board in 2012 that Iran was not seeking to pursue nuclear weapons just three weeks before Bibi Netanyahu went to the United Nations and asserted precisely the opposite. And so you have Trump nullifying what was easily 
the most notable foreign policy accomplishment of Obama, namely the Iran deal, even though it was completely unnecessary because Iran was, in fact, not seeking to develop nuclear weapons. Trump, to this day, uh, I'm convinced, still thinks that this uh, $150 billion we gave back to Iran was American taxpayer dollars when it was frozen Iranian assets. I mean, there are things he just doesn't seem to understand. The idea of giving Jerusalem uh, to Israel when it ought to have been part of a comprehensive solution and should be an international city, of giving the Golan Heights to Israel, which is completely absurd to the rest of the world. This is Israeli-occupied territory, and there appears to be a, a, a vast natural gas deposit beneath the Golan Heights that could be put to the benefit of every Palestinian or refugee in the Middle East. And then unfunding, defunding the UN refugee organization assisting the Palestinians. Those were wrong, completely wrongful acts for which I have condemned him. What he has done well has been to revive the economy, reduce unemployment, call out the fake news media. Uh, uh, he's done a, a, a lot of good things, but it, it's a very complicated assessment. On the other hand, I have a perfectly clear conscience in voting for him over Hillary because, we, look, if Hillary had become president, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because World War III would have annihilated us, you know, years ago. I mean, really, she is uh, such a nasty piece of work. So it's a yeah. complicated case. The Democrats' problem is they don't seem to have a way to get a handle on Trump. He's a media genius. Let me give you an illustration. Remember not so long ago with this Jim Acosta guy and other of the figures from MSNBC or CNN would be confronting Trump regularly yeah. during press briefings? Well, Trump yeah. has simply abandoned the press briefing, so now they only can question him when he's headed to a plane or a helicopter. Oh, yeah, that's to... right. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> they don't get their face time. They don't get their moments of, of self-glorification. It is. Yep. It's a brilliant stroke. He's a master of the media, and his use of Twitter is completely brilliant. Now, we have three major factions in the Democratic Party. One is the squad. The most extreme, uh, uh, Alexis, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, and their two friends. Now, I happen to like them a lot. I'm really glad they're around. I find them extremely interesting. Often they make, you know, uh, 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 issues that otherwise wouldn't have been placed before us. Uh, Ilan Omar seems to have got herself in some kind of legal entanglements over having, it appears, married her brother in order to give him U.S. status. So that's a sticky wicket. I have liked her on multiple grounds, and she's been an outspoken critic of Israel. And I believe that Israel is the source of a whole lot of problems in the world today. Obviously, not all of them, but when it comes to acts of terrorism, Israel and the United States are the two greatest terrorist nations in the world today, though Muammar Gaddafi observed that if you want to end terrorism, all you have to do is lob a cruise missile into the city of London, that one-mile square, independent city where all the Rothschild banking empire is located. So I, I can't say he's wrong. He knew what he was talking about, and the guy was a 
a great figure who belongs in a pantheon of heroes. But then the second group is the progressives, well, really the socialists, represented by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who, who, who are being critiqued by the moderates, such as Tim Ryan, who are explaining all this free stuff isn't going to go down well with a great uh, independent center that are going to decide the election. And then you have Kamala Harris, who is very skillfully, surgically skewered uh, by uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard over the war campaign, which is supposed to be based on doing uh, justice for black and brown people, where Tulsi exposed she'd done precisely the opposite as attorney general. So, So, Fred, they have very little to fall back upon. And it looks as though this gun control agenda is becoming the primary uh, objective. Uh, I have been predicting we're going to have more and more of these fake staged events. Let, let me illustrate for those who may not be aware of what I mean when I talk about El Paso, for example. We have a photograph of the shooter coming into the Walmart there, and he's wearing trousers that have these big cargo pockets. I was wearing, uh, went up to the Dells today, and I had those big cargo pockets on the shorts I was wearing. But when he's arrested going out, he, he no longer has trousers with those cargo pockets. So what did he decide? While I'm in Walmart, I might as well pick up a new pair of trousers during the mass shooting. I mean, it's absurd. It's completely absurd. And then as Jim Stone's observed, Walmarts are just laden with cameras. Well, he was in there for 20 minutes. Uh, 20 minutes, 30 cameras, 600, 10 hours of footage. We haven't seen any of it. We haven't seen any of it. Uh, not only that, but as Jim Stone also observed, that Walmart could have easily been evacuated in about 90 seconds, and then he's got no one left to shoot. Uh, that whole thing is completely fake. Uh, what we have with the Dayton shooter, by the way, it turns out he, he actually died in Connecticut in 2014. In other words, it's another fabricated event. turns out that the politics for both of them is really not quite what they wanted, because uh, the Dayton guy uh, turns out to be uh, a, an extreme leftist who's actually an a- active Antifa member and, and who, who never uh, was even a, a opposed to the Second Amendment. I think this turns out to be also true for the, for the El Paso shooter. But look at the politics of the situation in El Paso. Who is from El Paso? Whose campaign is Beto, Beto, Beto. Beto O'Rourke, right. He thinks this is going to resurrect his campaign just the way 9-11 made Rudy Giuliani a hero. If you didn't know that Rudy was deeply involved in planning 9-11, you might have been played by his seeming heroic response, knowing what was coming, he had plenty of time to anticipate. There's much more to be said about that, but look. We, we even have a brand-new video where you can see some of these Philadelphia cops splashing fake blood on themselves. It's only a 14-second video clip. Get this Fox News, too. Uh, we have a report uh, where a Fox News anchor is talking about a third shooting at another Walmart, and then she looks and, oh, she says, oh, this hasn't happened yet. Oh, this hasn't happened yet. It's oh, reporting. Yeah, yeah, Fred, it's that bad. This is garbage. This is total bullshit. They're giving us one fake shooting after another. 
And here's something else they don't seem to understand. Uh, uh, gun, gun ownership and homicide rates are inversely related. You have more guns, you have fewer homicides. You have fewer guns, you have more homicides. This is true worldwide. Uh, if you look at the demographic patterns, the U.S. and Canada have among the, uh, the, the strongest gun ownership in the world and also lowest homicide rate. Brazil, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. Africa, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. Russia, low gun ownership, high homicide rate. Well, somebody's going to say, well, if they don't have guns, how are they killing each other? Well, it happened in London, too. London banned guns, and they've had an epidemic of knife attacks. People are killing each other with knives, machetes, even swords. I just saw a video last week where a guy, purportedly an ISIS member, was slicing and dicing a German citizen with a samurai sword. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, I saw a that. video. So, so I said about this London thing when the mayor of London, uh, you know, uh, is, is banning knives. I said, what's next? Are they going to ban potato peelers? Yes, they had to ban potato peelers too. Now, look at Chicago. Chicago has the most stringent gun laws in the United States, but it also has yep. the highest violence. What, how dumb are we supposed to be? Those gun laws don't work. Taking firearms out of the hands of law-abiding citizens does not make us safer. Not only that, but, but Mayor Pete was talking about how we need to commission the CDC to conduct studies about guns and violence. Well, it turns out the CDC has already uh, conducted studies about guns and violence. It turns out that defensive gun use is overwhelmingly more prevalent than the world imagined. In fact, a study done based on statistics from 2008 showed that defensive use of guns by persons to defend themselves from criminals uh, ran from a half a million to three million, a half a million to three million defensive uses of guns. Another study estimates there's over a million uses of defensive uses of guns and that they're saving on the average between 162,000 and 200,000 American lives every year. I mean, it's idiotic to think you can disarm the American people and thereby protect us. In fact, it's quite obviously not the case. The opposite is so. I'm hoping that Trump will pass a nationwide concealed carry because that would be do more to reduce uh, uh, gun violence and crime than any other action. When, when, when the bad guys have no idea who might be armed and able to take them out, their behavior yeah. changes dramatically. Well, Jim, we're going to open it up for comments and questions. Anybody out there? I know uh, Jim's been going for an hour and 15 minutes here. We want to try to keep it limited to uh, you know an hour and a half or so. But uh, comments and questions for Jim Fetzer on anything we've discussed uh, tonight. Uh, feel free, star six, your phone, or uh, we'll have TalkShoe unmuted here. Go right ahead. Anybody out there? Come on, you guys, speak up. There's so much. <laughs> we got Jay Bird and Al Jordan, Dr. Cross. Oh, Al Jordan! Al <laughs> Come on, baby, unmute your phone. 
I'm going to call been... you out, man. <laughs> yeah. We should have uh, missed him. Okay, yeah. Al George, God, God bless you. Hope you're okay. Uh, well, there's just so many questions. And uh, Six, seven years ago, Jim came to Chicago. We brought him into this studio uh, that is now being used for all of these network shows here in Chicago. We, we did our best. To, to do an expose of his updated research on the 50th anniversary of JFK. And it's on YouTube, smartbandwidth.youtube.com. But, uh, you know, and, and yeah. Steve helped us behind the scenes. But uh, there's just a that, ton that, of information that, out there. That was a lot of fun, Fred. I really enjoyed doing that with you. Just in case someone wants further evidence that this was uh, Obama Bush uh, uh, Biden, Obama, uh, uh, Biden Holder operation, where, by the way, Eric Holder met with the governor of Connecticut on the 27th of November, just a oh, couple of weeks before Sandy Hook. And the, the governor during his press conference said that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen, leading me to speculate, spoken to by whom something like what could he possibly mean? There are really only two options. That someone was going to go berserk and shoot up a bunch of kids in a public school in Connecticut, in which case the governor, having been spoken to, obviously had an obligation to put out the word for the school system to type their security and ensure that this would not happen, which he did not do. Or alternatively, that he'd been spoken to, that they were going to take an abandoned school, conduct a FEMA exercise and presented as a live event to promote gun control, which is exactly what happened. And the party by whom he was spoken to was clearly Eric Holder. Now, in addition, get this, uh, in November of 2012 on the PBS show Greater Boston, hosted then by Emily Rooney, the daughter of Andy, had as its guest the mayor of Boston, Thomas Menino. The topic was gun control. And Menino essentially bragged that he was good friends with then Vice President Joe Biden, who had called him and told Menino that by January of 2013, gun control in the U.S. would be a done deal. Rudy asked how or what could change for legislation to pass so quickly. Menino wouldn't say, but that Biden assured him something would happen to bring it about. I think we have a comment from Jaybird. Are you going to speak up, Jaybird? Yeah, James. Where's the best? Um, where's the best place to go to get this information? Uh, I, I went. I searched you on YouTube. Right? I searched you on the internet, and basically, what I came up with was Twitter. But uh, where's I, I, I? I am on Twitter at at Jim Fetzer. Uh, I have uh-huh. a friend. In- in Cleveland who convinced me to get active on Twitter. I have a blog. Now, you know, I, I have lots and lots of blogs. I mean, there, what, there must be, I think I might have close to a thousand blogs now. Uh, JamesFetzer.org. JamesFetzer.org. And okay. if you just start, start working backwards, you know, or you could do a search on Sandy Hook. I mean, there are quite a few on Sandy Hook, but a whole host of other issues. If you want any of the books, Amazon has now banned five more of my books. They have banned the book about Orlando, about Charlottesville, about Parkland, 
uh, about the moon landing, though I believe that's because it has chapters related to the Holocaust over and beyond the, the, and the book about Boston, which is absolutely sensational, unbelievably thorough. So for those, you want to go to moonrockbooks.com, moonrockbooks.com, where you can get the books before, you know, they're absolutely uh, abolished. I mean, Amazon being the biggest book distributor in the world, banning these books, it's some kind of an indoor record. For us, we have, you know, 12 books to have half of our books banned. That really means we're doing something right. Now, what you're actually looking for uh, may be videos, and I have hundreds of videos out there that have uh, been taken off of YouTube, but in most cases, they've been preserved on two different secure websites. One is called 153news.net. It's an odd thing. 153news.net. The other is called BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E. Now, if you do a, a 153news.net, for example, a fellow named Gus Chambers, Gus Chambers puts up many, many, many. He's put up hundreds of my videos, and he puts them up in several different categories. If you go there for Gus Chambers, 153news.net, Gus Chambers, Jim Tetzer, you're going to find the bonanza. Go to uh, jamesfetzer.org. Just look at the menu bar there, and there are two different categories for videos. You're going to find a lot of videos are also archived and available right there through my blog. Now, okay. a couple of those that might be of special interest here would be, for example, the Sandy Hook update, Tracy loses, Wolfgang wins, the deep state strikes back. Just remember Sandy Hook update. That's on 153news.net. And that's a very comprehensive overview of all the evidence about Sandy Hook from beginning to end, from the FEMA manual to the FBI consolidated crime report for 2012 showing no murders in Newtown. You get all that there. Another good one, there's called false flags on five fronts that I did in Seattle, where I'm giving you a bare bones about uh, Sandy Hook, uh, 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 Boston, uh, Charlottesville, uh, Parkland, and Las Vegas, okay? There's, there's another one entitled, How to Spot a False Flag. And there I go through a dozen or 15 of these events just giving you the tells, how you can tell for a certainty that these are fabricated events. Now, if you go into my blog and you go back, I don't know, about, about 10 blog, blogs ago, there was a, an article published about conspiracy theory where I embedded, I embedded updated version of how to spot a false flag where I was being interviewed by Dr. Catherine Horton, who is in and of herself a wonderful person. She's a particle physicist from Oxford who has been targeted with all kinds of uh, directed energy weapons, and she's quite a champion, a brilliant woman. Well, we do this, we do a redo of how to spot a false flag in four parts, and she makes many observations that that, that deepen and extend and enrich in the discussion and analysis. So that's our And what was her name? Her name is Dr. Katherine Horton, H-O-R-T-O-N. And you can find that she has a blog, too, uh, uh, Stop007. Stop007, I think it's 
it might be .org, but it might be .com. And she's got those shows archived on her site too. And a lot of the documents related to my Sandy Hook lawsuit are there as well. Oh, here's a particularly good one. I was in Chicago uh, a couple of months ago and invited by a group that calls themselves the College of Complexes to talk about the lawsuit. And I gave the talk for about an hour, and then they had like 10 minutes of questions and answers, and then they opened it to the floor and gave anyone who wanted four minutes to attack me any way they wanted. It was exhilarating. I got some really nasty attacks, and I loved the whole bloody thing because it was so totally unfettered, and then I had the opportunity to respond. So you might also look for the college. Oh, I think actually I sent it to Fred in relation to this. I think you got to the link there that, that it's up for my talk here tonight. That College of Complexes was probably the single presentation I most enjoyed I ever gave because it was so completely unfettered in terms of free speech. I loved it. And you don't think Jeffrey Epstein is dead? No, Epstein appears to be... He appears to have been swapped out and taken to a, an air base in uh, Germany where Hillary can't knock him off. Uh-huh. He, he's such, he's such uh, an important witness. Uh, and there are so many oddities here. And I think the public has really been stunned by this development because the stories they're giving about him committing suicide after he'd been put on suicide watch are preposterous. And this is why I suggest, I think, that now we're we're witnessing a gradual transition in the public mind, realizing that those guys that have been dismissed as conspiracy theorists may be telling us more of the truth than we're getting from the mainstream media. Yeah, we've been on board for a long time. Hey, Jay, a lot of those links that um, Jim was talking about, Steve's got up on the newsletter. Okay. Yeah, they're in the newsletter, Jay. A lot of them. Okay. Cool. Yeah, we got a whole bunch of them out there. Okay. Well, I really enjoy these opportunities, Fred, coming on with you guys. I know this is uh, this program is an institution in and of itself, and I really appreciate these opportunities. If anyone else has any questions about any of this, yeah, I have one last on- call. One last call, guys. We're going to give you one last call. Oh, come one, come all. <laughs> Anyone? Let me mention. Let me mention. I I have sure. just published a short book uh, sure. entitled "Exposing the Russia Hoax." It's only 132 pages long. It's available as a ebook for nine dollars and ninety-five cents. It, it's from A to Z on on the Russia hoax which has proven to be a calamity for the Democrats in how Hillary and the DNC collaborate with corrupt elements of the Department of Justice and the FBI to, to sabotage the campaign of Donald Trump and to undermine the legitimacy of his administration. It's a fascinating story. Uh, the, the distributor has it marked at higher prices in a paperback and art, but I think you get the core of the book. Just the, 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 the e, e-book is what you'd want to get. Uh, this is just up here. Okay. Jim Fetzer, Exposing the Russian Hoax for $9, everyone. And uh, is that over at Boom Books, the same place, Jim, or which, which, which uh, site? 
I can't tell you all of that because this is a, a, a new operation I've been dealing with. And okay. it should be pretty widely available now, but what you want is the ebook, the ebook, Exposing the Russia Hoax, Jim Fetzer. Okay. Yeah. okay, that's an ebook, everyone. Jim, one last comment or question for me. Uh, you uh, have specialized in cognitive analysis of, of, the, of logical functioning units of the brain, uh, theory uh, of, of, of practical thought, everything else. When you saw Robert Mueller testify before Congress that day, uh, what was going through your mind? I, I, I was totally baffled and dumbfounded that this guy was in that. He, he was not here. He was not with us. He was not cognizant. He was not sharp at all. I mean, it was very, very sad to watch. Yeah, it was. It was pathetic. He was clearly just a face guy. The report actually was written by this guy, uh, Weissman, I think, who's a Hillary yeah. Park, and he even was at her, uh, you know, celebration, non-celebration. She was supposed to win the election. A very nasty piece of work. Mueller didn't know his own report, hadn't written the report, had never heard of Fusion GPS or Glenn Simpson, which were the corrupt origins with the Steele dossier. His incompetence was mind-numbing. It was very embarrassing. These hearings turned out to be a disaster for the Democrats. So it's it's pretty fascinating what's taking place here, truly. Yeah, nothing's staying hidden. That's, that's true, an awful lot. But still, the social media giants are performing these massive acts of censorship. I can't tell you how many friends I have whose work has been taken down, whose channels have been taken down. Here's one more uh, reference that's an interesting one. Mike Adams, who's been ranked as the second yeah. most influential on the internet, did a, an interview with me uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and I thought he wasn't even gonna put it up, but when he did, he used a phrase that he'd introduced at the end of our interview. It's entitled, uh, The Most Dangerous Mind in America on False Flags and Extreme Censorship. Uh, that's a very interesting piece. It's available at Natural News, where he's going through how not only have so many of my uh, blogs and videos been taken down, but so many of those who have interviewed me or had anything to do with me have been taken down as well. So it's pretty fascinating just to show how bad it is, how far we are from the ideals that we have been told are the, the, the basic elements of American life, freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Well, this is, uh, and God bless this young uh, technician or programmer inside Google who came forward with Project Veritas and actually showed his butt and, and, and was interviewed and came totally clean with the documents. So, and hopefully this will inspire more people inside Google, inside these other platforms to come forward. Yeah, just on a footnote, footnote with that, Fred, I'd like to add for uh, for Jim that uh, I yeah. find it appalling that uh, uh, YouTube took down uh, Press TV. That, that was just unbelievable. And oh, yeah. a lot of the videos that are up on YouTube 
about historic things in Germany in World War II and all that have been removed as well. It's unbelievable. This is documented history. So uh, they just remove things that will. Yeah, it, it is absolutely stunning. And moreover, let me make this point too. Uh, the problem isn't Russian interference. Get this. Uh, uh, at the midterm, I was predicting that Trump would pick up uh, three or four seats in the Senate and keep the House because a Rasmussen poll just published showed he had a 50% approval rating overall and 40% in the black community. When it didn't play out that way, I was baffled. But it turned out there was a hidden hand at work because a year or so later, Google acknowledged it had adjusted its algorithms and shifted as many as 76 million votes to the Democrats, which is how they regained the House. That is unbelievable. You got all this ongoing hysteria about Russia when there was no Russian involvement. It was Seth Rich. You can read about it in detail in this new book if you're not already familiar. Or if you want a more imposing task, Greg Jarrett has a brilliant book entitled The Russia Hoax that is very yeah. thorough, very clear, copiously yep. documented. Uh, uh, if they cared about interference in our election, they wouldn't be looking to Russia. They'd be looking to Google. But because Google is helping them, they're attacking Russia, a false claim about Russian manipulation, and ignoring Google, a true claim about their manipulation. It's, it's outrageous, the world we're in now. Politically, it's all political theater. Almost every major story you're hearing is false or fabricated, phony or fake. Wow. Uh, yep. Everyone, Project Veritas, the guy's name, I think it's Mike, Mike Voorhees, or his last name is Voorhees, Kyle Voorhees, or something like that. Very inspiring uh, uh, interview with uh, James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. Yes. He's he, delivered, he delivered all the documents to the Justice Department, and he released everything to Project Veritas, and it was made public when he showed his real mug, because he was incognito back in late June when Jim uh, interviewed him originally. But Google yeah, I saw that, that it was him. I, I saw that interview yesterday, Fred. That was fascinating. He just dumped it out there. <laughs> that's what I meant by nothing can stay hidden, because there's going to be yeah. somebody that's going to bring it out, you know? And if people are looking in the right place, they can see that about Google. Boy, that was that was a brilliant, brilliant move. There was an stunning revelation from Google. The CEO was questioned by Congress about Russian interference, and he explained the total amount of money Russia invested in affecting our election was $4,700. This is a billion-dollar campaign. That's the amount of money he spends on a buffet, buffet for the executives of Google. Stupid. <laughs> stupid. Absolutely stupid. <laughs> so funny. The comedy of errors, Jim. It's unreal. Uh, Jim, I also like to make a statement. Uh, uh, please, everyone in prayer, and Jimmy can comment. Uh, the the valiant, brave people of Hong Kong who are protesting over there. Yes. They need our prayers. They need our our our, our, our visualization for success to overcome and stand up against the tyranny of the communist regime there. They deserve better. There's a, there's a, the, the, 
the, the, the seed of freedom was planted there in Western civilization in Hong Kong. And that's going to be like the fight of, of you know, because they, they take over Hong Kong and more needs to be done in prayer and a public statement to support them. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine the impact they're having because I've been to, I was in Hong Kong for three weeks and it never sleeps. There's no room on the sidewalk day or night to walk around. There's so many people and they all can't be out at once because they live in high rises. But with all those people in the street at once, that must be absolutely amazing. I mean, talk about a presence, you know, <laughs> in, in anywhere else you could do it, they could spread out. But there... Oh my goodness! Uh, I can't even. I mean, I saw the pictures. It was pretty amazing. That's a big impact. Indeed. Yeah, I'm having to catch up on all these events in the Hong Kong because I'm so immersed in uh, these other issues. But yeah, sure. yes, yeah, very, very stunning stuff. And when I was stationed in the Far East for 13 months. I had training ops in Japan twice, in Korea and Formosa and the Philippines. I had R&R in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong has a special place in my life. I was never in country in Vietnam, and I wound up having very mixed feelings about the war, which is another we should have never fought like these in the Middle East. But, you know, Hong Kong has been a very special place in the world and even in our own personal lives in many cases. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it, it, it deserves our prayers and our attention. Jim, uh, again, uh, your your presence uh, once or twice a year on this show is, is very greatly appreciated. We look forward to every one of your visits o- over the years, and tonight's no exception. So uh, our, our prayers are with you, and our support is with you. Everyone, please spread the links about Jim, Jim Fetzer, anything you can find, please share it with a stranger, share it with a family member, share it with somebody. Uh, you know, a good part of this fight is Jim and people like Jim just knowing that there are people like us who believe, who support, and who see a better tomorrow coming around the corner, thanks to the, to the strong, valiant efforts of people standing up against tyranny. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for coming on. Like, I'm kind of losing my voice here. I've had a little bit of a cold this week, but uh, we really appreciate you coming terrific. back on. It's terrific. I love the show. I love coming on with you guys, and I'm very grateful for your support. I look forward to a return engagement in the not-too-distant future. Thank you once again. And everyone, remember remember what we said last week with Jim uh, James Yeager. Area 51 is yeah. going to be stupendous six months. <laughs> so we are going to follow this. We are going to follow this. This is going to be unbelievable. And, and Jim, we'll have, maybe we'll, we'll drag you back on. But the eve of Area 51 on September 19th, we're having a big bang-up show on the eve of the of storming Area 51. So <laughs> take care. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thanks, hey. everyone. Thanks, T.D. Good to have you back, T.D. Thank you. Yes. And we'll send you the we'll send you the the audio link, Jim. Okay. Terrific. On the show. Thanks, Brad. All right. Thanks so Good much. night, everyone. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks. American Underground Network. That was fun.